Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brett Keen, and you are watching and listening to The Brett Keen Show. I hope you're all having a wonderful day out there. We're going to talk about a lot of different things today as I play Fallout 4. Yes, if you want to see me playing Fallout 3 or any other video games, simply subscribe to the channel, comment, rate, all that good stuff. Show me you love me, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, as many of you know, it's been a couple months since I've actually produced any videos on YouTube. I've been posting a lot of my videos over to Rumble and directly through Twitter. Soon I'm going to be a verified user on Twitter. I've been um, amassing a pretty decent amount of subscribers on uh, Twitter, and I've been slowly climbing on Rumble. There's a lot of... Uh, users out there and former YouTube users who've been using Rumble video sharing site and they seem to be doing very well for themselves so it's very competitive it's uh, hard to get yourself out there a lot of people nowadays they like to watch the younger folks they're not really into us old wise sages and all that however it does seem as though I've got a good place on Twitter because I, I suppose it's because my tweets are very informative and I put a lot of good content and material out there. And I also stay up to date with a lot of things that are going on. Now, a lot of you out there, you ask, how can I support you, Brad? How can I help you out in these troubling times and with the economy being the shit dog that it is? Well, that's simple. If you look in my description, I literally have only three links in there that I'm sending people to. There's my PayPal, there's my Cash App, and then there's my Twitter. The reason why, even though I have over hundreds of sharing sites and an international radio station, the reason why I only put Twitter in there is because I put all my stuff from the radio onto Twitter that people can check out. I put my Rumble, my YouTube, and anything that I produce will eventually end up on twitter anyway so i figure it's the one stop shop for you all to check out so it's been a couple months since i've actually produced a video now some of you out there are technically stupid and you don't understand you'll say but brett you've done some shows on this thing no i didn't do shows my friend ttor Hosted some shows through uh, Rumble and connected it to his YouTube channel and mine. And I simply was a mediator that was on his show that just happened to be live streaming all over. I guess technically you could argue that I haven't been completely gone. Shows were made. Just I wasn't making solo videos, which is what a lot of you enjoy watching. A lot of you, of course, like the live stuff because you get to interact with me and you get to talk and... It's pretty cool. So what's been happening? Well, Christmas and New Year's was actually uh, pretty difficult. Um, my son was having some issue at a job that he was at. There were some people who were being very abusive. And unfortunately, one of the people who was being abusive was a supervisor. So my son ended up having to stop working there for just a little while and eventually got a better job paying uh, double the amount that he was making at the other. But during the time that he was out, him and his, uh, the female that he's in a relationship with um, got behind on bills. Well, his mama and daddy 
me, Daddy, uh, ended up having to give quite a bit of money over. So that kind of took care of a lot of stuff having to do with Christmas because of that. Well, while all this was going on, my daughter ended up having a seizure and had to go into the hospital. And she had to get a uh, surgery done on her brain and skull. So there's that. She ended up, after getting the surgery, she spent a short time in the hospital. I thought that it was going to be one of those events that she'd be in there for months. But she literally got out within a couple days of getting the surgery. And she's been home recovering. So... On the area of her head where she got the surgery, we've had to make sure that we keep it clean, keep it bandaged, and also make sure that she uh, doesn't hurt herself when she's trying to sleep. She can't lay on the area where the wound is, so that's what we're dealing with there. So my son's trying to get taken care of on his issue, and my daughter's going through a healing process. I became very angry this New Year's. It was actually right at New Year's morning, at 5 in the morning, New Year's Day, my daughter had to go to the hospital. And uh, my family was informed. My wife informed her side of the family. And her side of the family, a lot of people showed up and they called a couple of my family members called, but none of them actually went to the hospital to see if she was okay or visit with her. And in my mind, if you do something like that, if you don't show up or you don't visit or you're not there whenever um, someone is in a life or death crisis, then to me, that means you don't care. And when people basically acknowledge or give that clear sign that they don't care about my children, that's pretty much the end of them. I won't have nothing to do with people like that, even if they claim to share my DNA or are related with me. So that's kind of upsetting. However, at the same time, I'm in a great mood that my daughter, of course, is alive and kicking. And also that she's got a new shunt. And uh, I love that face. it's in such a good way that we expect that we won't have to do surgery for some time unless some kind of anomaly happens. You know, uh, we had some people on Twitter who saying, well, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. You know, whenever it comes to prayer, ladies and gentlemen, um, you might find this weird, even though I believe in God. I rarely ever pray to God asking for anything for myself. Like, you'll never catch me asking for money. You'll never uh, catch me asking God for material things or vehicles or any of this kind of stuff. I've always been a very simple person. I feel like as long as I have some kind of way to play video games or watch movies and television and the TV's big enough for me who's practically blind is able to observe what's happening on the screen. I'm pretty fine in life. As long as I have a few people around that love me, um, I don't really need much. I'm not a high maintenance type of person. So there's that. So as a, 
just uh, talk a little bit about video games for a little bit, and then we'll get back into, um, you know, my life and all that kind of stuff. I've always been a big fan of Fallout 4. I know that uh, the game probably wouldn't be even half as fun for me if it wasn't for mods, but I really enjoy um, editing the script and screwing with this game and creating new stuff for it. And I enjoy other people's creative ideas where they make mods and then I install them in the game and my game literally lights up like a Christmas tree. I've got thousands of outfits that my settlers wear. I've got uh, every kind of weapon that's ever been invented and then new stuff that's never even been thought of. Quest out the ass. And my game, my game has so many mods in it that it's literally got a life unto itself. I could, I could live in this game. <laughs> you know, that's what I had wanted with Starfield, ladies and gentlemen. When I bought Starfield... I wanted it to be that type of game, but Starfield, unfortunately, is in the same condition that Fallout 4 is. It came out with a bunch of bugs, a bunch of false promises, and it's still not set to a way that is easily moddable, um, at least through a console. But, yeah, my game has so many quests and so many radiant and redundant stuff that you can do. You could literally live a life in this virtual simulation of the apocalypse. I love it. I think one of the reasons why I like Fallout over a lot of games is a lot of people, when they make video games nowadays, they focus more on mechanics or just like a quick dopamine hit. But Fallout actually has like personality. You know, I actually think that some of the characters are funny. I've laughed at things. I feel like I'm really doing something good whenever I'm, like, saving kidnapped people and all this. In every video game I've ever played, including Skyrim, I've always played a good person. A person who tries to create in the world as opposed to destroy. I kind of play a pacifist in Fallout. Unless I'm attacked first. Like, I won't attack raiders. I'll try to sneak past them. I'll try to get around them. But if they start, you know, coming at me or something, or they spot me and won't leave me alone, then I've been known to pull out a fat man and drop a, a nuke on a couple pricks. You know, I do what I got to do in order to survive. It's a tough world in Fallout. And I think that's how I am in real life, too. You know, I don't try to mess with anybody. I don't try to anger nobody. I try to just mind my own business and survive in the world. And if somebody pricks on me and uh, tries to give me the wrong tone, you know, steps up on me like a frog wanting to jump, then uh, they get the fat man. They get the nuke. So it is what it is. You know, there's some people out there who say, bro, why don't you play other games for? Well, honestly, even though a game like, uh, believe it or not, games like Fallout and games like World of Warcraft, these are more slower type of games. Even though there's a great deal of action in these games, a person who has bad eyesight can play a game like Fallout 
And if I run into bad guys, I can do VATS, where it kind of freezes the screen and gives me the opportunity for my eyes to adjust so I know when to shoot and do things or I know what direction to look. If I play like um, one of these games where it's like person against person, it takes too long for me to figure out where they are. People hate playing me in like um, PvP because I'm one of these type of folks who will hide and you know, wait until I hear the person or see the person, and then blast them from a mile away <laughs> using the scope rifle. <laughs> I'm not one of these type of people that just like to run into stuff. And because I suffer from some form of OCD, I don't like, uh, if I play a game, I'm kind of really have this philosophy of permadeath. If my character dies in a game, I automatically feel like I gotta start over. And it doesn't matter if I'm a level 90 in World of Warcraft. If I get killed, and especially if it's my fucking fault why I got killed, I will start over and the new life and story of a character will go. I just can't stand it. And I can go for months and months. Uh, even there was one time I went an entire year with Fallout Vegas where I didn't die one single time. And I got to the point where I was so OP that I could literally stand out um, with a military shooting at me along with all kinds of other bullshit and they weren't able to take me down. I was like Batman on steroids. So, yeah, if you dick around long enough in these games, you'll discover that not really nothing that would be able to put you down at that point. That's the way it is. What's going to happen to all those people outside We're the gate? Everything we can. Now keep moving. So, I guess I'll tell you guys a little bit about some of my goals or what I want to do. I'm going to still continue to upload videos to Rumble. Um, I got some friends out there who want to grab all my video stock and uh, put it on their websites okay. and then put it on other video sites for me because I've gotten to the point in my old age where I just don't give a shit anymore. I just uh, want to make my video, upload it, and if it sticks, it sticks. I don't give a shit about flagging or any of this hate speech nonsense. Honestly, half the time, I don't even know what the fucking hate speech means. All I know is that if I make videos and I disagree with the wrong um, politics or the wrong group, uh, for some reason, some corporation and a bunch of snowflakes and cupcakes out there think that I need to be knocked the fuck down. I don't feel like having to read a bunch of bullshit. I'm an older man. I grew up uh, throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and... I am accustomed and spoiled on freedom of speech. I am spoiled on being able to be who I am and say what's on my fucking mind. And if people don't like it, they don't have to watch my shit. And I don't like it whenever somebody watches my shit just so they can find something uh, that they can try to fuck me over on. I find that to be um, bullshit. I find that to be stupid and weak. I mean, what kind of fucking person... If you're going through Arkansas 
and you see off in the back road a, a motherfucking bonfire and a bunch of Ku Klux Klan members dancing around some bitch and you don't like what you're seeing, you continue to drive on. You don't stop and then pull into that shit and then expect a, a fucking pleasant awakening or conversation from these people. Now, I'm in no way comparing myself to, like, the KKK. I think they're absolutely bullshit, and I'm in no way a fucking racist. But the point is, is that if I see a title or a thumbnail or a topic that I know is not going to make me fucking happy, you know, like the countless atheist videos out there that say God sucks or God is Santa Claus and shit, then I'm not going to click on it. I'm not going to go click on a fucking video that I know is going to absolutely suck just so I can cry like a fucking little girl into some Kleenex and then fucking go on to report that shit. No, that's, that's fucking weak sauce. I think that if someone's going to report somebody, you report people whenever you think that your life is in danger or someone's threatening you or something or someone's trying to... And I'm not talking about threatening you like hurt your fucking feelings. You know how these people, they say words are hate and words are violence? I don't believe that shit. But if somebody's like putting your fucking address out there, dropping your docs or are talking about how they would want to come to your town and do some horrible shit to you and stuff... You know, usually um, this includes a two-by-four duct tape in a dark fucking closet or basement. Yeah, then that makes sense, you know. I'm just saying. I've got my fucking standards, folks. Oh, boy. So, it looks like... Um, while I was away, I went up about 50 subscribers, it looks like. So that's cool. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the support. And hopefully, we can get ourselves to a 1,000. That's my goal. As far as YouTube goes, my goal on YouTube is to get myself to a 1,000 subs. To me, that's more people than all the churches in my entire county. We have a lot of churches and stuff, but a, a thousand people is more than several churches at one time in my area. I don't think that it's really about narcissism and all that. There's just something about knowing that a thousand people are actually paying attention to you and actually uh, going, hey, this guy's got something he's trying to say here, and it's actually pretty valuable. It's important. I don't need any higher and I don't need any lower. That's my rounded off like goal. 1,000 subs on YouTube. As many of you know in the past, I've had over tens of thousands of subs before. So I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be up there. But 1,000 is like the, uh, how do I put this? A lot of you out there, you may think that if you have a lot of subscribers that your life gets better. That it's like uh, more interesting to be on YouTube. It's not. Once you reach a thousand subscribers on YouTube, it literally starts raining assholes from the sky. People hate you. People start making hate videos and shit. Um, people attack you for every little fucking thing. You're considered relevant at this point when you're that high. One thousand is like a sparkly number. It's like an ornament on a Christmas tree. It gets people's attention. 
It doesn't get better, though, the more famous or popular you get on the Internet, folks. I don't know if you knew that. When you're at about 100 subscribers and you've got 100 people who are just leaving uh, various or random comments, that feels pretty good. But once you hit a thousand, you break the atmosphere. It's like you're above the earth now. And now you're dealing with a whole new universe or living arrangement when dealing with people on the internet. A thousand is, uh, it's whenever you're just, just passing over. It's like a transition from life to death. Yep. Start to rain and assholes from the sky. I've really been enjoying doing these live shows with TTR. I really like having another person to bounce off of whenever I'm doing these live things. On Friday, I absolutely plan to do a show where I'm hosting. And I'm thinking about every, like, Friday or maybe Monday, I'll do a live show and just have an open discussion where people come in and be able to chat with me. But... I'd like to start actually, uh, I'd like to have a little bit of a team where I don't have to do the full weight of things. Giant. I'd like somebody to be able to, uh, that's hell? intelligent, informative, has a decent voice, who cares about what's going on in this world at least half as much as I do. A lot of you out there, you know this about me because you've watched my videos long enough. But I suffer from bipolar manic depression. I inherited this condition from my mother as well as family members on my mom's side. And uh, it doesn't mean that you're incapable of being able to uh, think or do things normally. A lot of people in history, a lot of great leaders, great presidents, great scientists, geniuses, and brilliant people suffered from bipolar man depression. It uh, basically, to explain it, it kind of opens your brain up and everything just kind of avalanches in. Everything just kind of pours into your mind. When something horrible happens in the world, my brain acts differently than a lot of you. Like if you see somebody getting killed over in another country, you'll probably go, well, that sucks. That's, that's shitty. You know, I'm glad I don't live there. You know, I'm glad I'm not that person. And then you go on with your fucking day. You could probably at, by the end of the day, be sucking on a sucker and watching your favorite TV show and not even give a fuck anymore. But for me, when I see anyone die or anyone suffer, um, I sympathize and I start feeling like, what if I was that person? What was it like for their mother and father to know that their child is dead? You know, when I see soldiers come home in caskets with flags wrapped around it and shit, and then on top of it, you see another channel on the news where Muslims or Pakistanis or homosexuals are burning fucking flags while seeing American soldiers actually buried with American flags. That shit makes me sick. It, it makes me sad. I see people that I love in that box. I see people that I care about, and I visualize, you know, what if they were, like, 
you know, my son or daughter, how would I react to that? How would I feel about something like that? You know? Where other people, they just kind of go, well, he was a patriot. He did what he had to do. He went out there in order to bring peace and democracy to the world. I don't know what that means, though. What does that mean, bring democracy? How many people got to die before democracy is completely bought? Why does one constantly have to pay property tax on democracy? You ever ask that question to yourself, why the fuck do you have to constantly pay into this? And why does it cost blood for? And why is it that five, a handful of greedy ass fucking politicians can use their pen and paper and lie their ass off and be able to gain more power than any American soldiers ever even known? It only takes like five shitty ass politicians to ruin anything that we've ever accomplished or achieved in life. So it makes you wonder, is it really worth it? Millions of American soldiers, millions of soldiers from other countries dying for what? Another thing that really gets me too, ladies and gentlemen, another thing that really depresses me, I've always been depressed at the idea of helping people and claiming that they're my ally or they're my friend. And then whenever you're in a, a tight situation or a bad fucking deal, those same people, you know, deep down inside, they wouldn't, you know, uh, return the favor. They're not going to give back. They're not going to help you when shit starts hitting the fan. And here we are. We That's how I see our country. We keep giving and giving and giving to everybody else. But if we were to ever be attacked, most people look at us like we're the big guy, the superpower anyway. Why do we need help for? I have a feeling that most people would just kind of sit back and do fucking nothing. Unless there's some kind of, unless the reason is, is that they're losing money off of a, you know, businesses being nuked. I don't think anybody do shit. And I don't think any countries are going to send $10 billion to us. Um, as we find ourselves in, in inflation and destruction. Why would anyone want to fight a damn war for us? A lot of people nowadays, a lot of young people nowadays are more considered with, you know, do I want to get a sex change or not as opposed to joining the military? A lot of people are like, oh, fuck that. I was uh, watching this thing on television where they are theorizing that Democrats and some Republicans out there think it's a good idea to make migrants into soldiers, actually tell them that they can be officially instated into America, you know, become citizens if they're willing to fight in our wars. Why the fuck would anybody want to do that for? You've already offered them free money and free shelter and free food. Why the hell that? Would somebody want to get on a fucking plane and invade a foreign country? <clears throat> Why would anyone want to go uh, fight total strangers for? 
No matter how I look at it or what way I look at things, ladies and gentlemen, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how, how did they program someone into believing that if you get on a chopper or get on a plane and you head over to a different country, a country most likely you've never even been, and they give you a bunch of guns and ammo and grenades and tell you that you need to go in and kill certain people. And you're running through the streets and you're rolling tanks down people's streets and their cities and in their towns. And you're killing people left and right. And it's hard to tell the difference between the terrorists and the civilians because a lot of them wear the same clothes. It's not like a terrorist is going to wear some kind of, you know, fucking shirt that says, kill me, I'm fucking stupid. They all look alike, right? Because a lot of them are wearing, you know, certain clothes and the kind of hats that go over their face and head. And some of these countries, we find that a lot of people are completely disguised because of their religion. So how the fuck do you know? Because a lot of people in some of these countries, they don't know what the hell's going on anyway. So if all of a sudden they see an invading army, they might think they're in danger. They might think they're in trouble. I mean, we we look at our world and we say to ourselves, well, we got a television set and a radio. We know what's going on at all times. But if you live out in the fucking desert, how the fuck do you know what's happening? It's not like someone who's uh, in a shack, you know, taking care of fucking goats <laughs> and running a little farm out in the middle of nowhere knows what the hell CNN is thinking or what the government of America or a different country thinks. Suddenly, a bunch of helicopters drop. People are parachuting out. Tanks are rolling at them. They might say, holy shit, what's going on? And grab their fucking guns. And they might not even have nothing to do with all that bullshit that you're there for in the first place. But you know what happens as soon as they run out in front of a mob of soldiers, right? That are armed to the fucking teeth. You know? And of course... We can't communicate with them because we don't know their language. You know, all we're hearing is Allah Akbar, Allah, Allah. So, a lot of people get dead that way. You know, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of migrants out there who are probably going to, who will eventually end up, as I've seen on Twitter, a lot of videos of this where they'll rob a bank or something or do something um, that involves some kind of violent act because they're trying to eat or get some money so they don't have to live on the street along with the homeless veterans we got out there. And a lot of them don't speak our language. So imagine what that's going to be like when the cops want to try to stop somebody. They're not going to be able to do it peaceful, are they? How do you peacefully talk someone down from doing something stupid if you don't know what the fuck they're talking about or what they're saying? Someone could be telling you a story about their little girl that needs medical help or food, and because of the tone of their voice and the lack of understanding of their language, you might actually think that they're talking about killing you in their language. And then they get blasted. It's a real shit show. It's a fucking mess. I just don't know. Oh, goodness. Picking some plants. Yeah. 
<laughs> the world. Oh. Yeah, I always... That's uh, one of the things about being bipolar, manic, depressive. You, you think about a lot of shit. You think about, what would I do if I was in this deal? I always found it weird that America's always wanting the um, people who are the most healthy to be in the military, you know? Why? Because wars are crazy as it is. Why not just take the people that are in prison or in jail, the people that are there for a long time or for life, and tell them that they'll get 10 years off if they... Um, do this or offer them some kind of lower level of uh, prisonry if they go fight in a war. If you think about it, it seems like the other people could still be alive. It seems like a, a serial killer or a murderer or people like that would probably be better fitted for war, right? People like the kind of monsters that we have in prison right now, they probably would have been considered heroes back in the day. You know, just tell them who to kill and why they need to be killed and, you know, arm them to the fucking teeth and send them out there. Why do we need to send our healthy sons and daughters when there's a plethora of the prison population that can be sent out? And we have all these mental asylums either. Did you know in Canada they have uh, passed a law stating that they can euthanize the mentally ill? That's right. If they can't cure you and they can't fix you, they can now make more room for other people by euthanizing the uh, the sick. It's something Adolf Hitler would have been really proud of. But I'm thinking to myself, why do that? I mean, if you're going to go out of your way to kill people, why not just take those people and, and give them a goal in life? You know, put them over in there and... Uh, over in the wars that these uh, greedy-ass politicians want to do and let them do it. Imagine how other countries would react to that. Imagine what the countries would say. They'd be like, we don't want to have a war with America because they'll take all their worst criminals and all their mental patients and, and put them out on a fucking war field with us. We don't want that shit. We don't want some psychopath who is fucking hallucinating, you know, running around with a gun around here. So maybe we ought to get into more negotiative type of patterns, you know? You're acting a little weird. What's wrong? Could you imagine how people would react in America if instead of sending cops to people's homes whenever there's some kind of uh, disturbance, instead we send mental patients? Boy, that would make a lot of people think twice about fucking up, right? Well, I ain't going to cause no trouble. I don't want a mental patient knocking on my fucking door. <laughs> ah, damn. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. The world, right? Stay with me, pal. Yeah, having bipolar and manic depression has you think of all kinds of crazy shit. Some of it sounds really intelligent. Some of it sounds dark. Some of it sounds scary. And when you're bipolar and manic depression, you can't help but to care and to sympathize and really feel for people. 
even those who are sick, even those who are violent and hateful and shit, you even get to feeling sorry for people like that. Because you think about why it is they are like they are. You think of all these reasons, not really justifications, but reasons why somebody might actually think it's okay to do the kind of shit they do. The only type of people that I cannot creatively or use my imagination for are pedophiles and rapists. No matter how much thought process I put into it, I can't in any kind of way be able to say that there's good reason for that. And it's one of the reasons why I hate my politicians so much, because I know a lot of these dirty, filthy fuckers were on Epstein Island. I know a lot of these fucking dirty bastards. They were, uh, they were banging children. And I can't for the life of me understand that. If you're super rich and super well-known, whether you're a celebrity or a politician, you got all this money. You can easily go running around in America, pick up a hooker, or pick up someone who is willful or interested in actually sleeping with you, no matter how ugly or fucking stupid or small your cock is. But these people would prefer being with younger people. Younger people who don't want to do that. Younger people who will scream and yell and and cry out to God while they're being abused. I guess that's what turns these sick fuckers on. I guess that's what gets them excited, feeling as though they have some kind of power and control over people. And when you think about it, a lot of these politicians are very narcissistic. Do you think when they're fucking us over and making these really shitty laws or making money off of us through our taxes that they're not over there jacking off? I mean, they get excited about vulnerable children who can't help themselves or defend themselves against their advances. I wonder if they get sexually charged or aroused whenever they're fucking over the American citizens. You know, kind of like they did during that J6 insurrection bullshit. I've seen a bunch of FBI agents laughing. I've seen politicians smiling about it. A defenseless woman, five foot tall, got her ass blown away by a fucking veteran soldier for just simply for going into the Capitol. She wasn't doing anything wrong. She wasn't hurting anybody. But she went into the building, and the guy thought he was in a fucking war again. I felt that a five foot five woman was a, was a fucking danger to his life. Five foot tall. I don't know, people. <laughs> oh, goodness. Life is strange. When you're bipolar, man, depressive, you do a lot of creative stuff, you know. Because your brain is running 100 miles per hour at all times. It's difficult to sleep. Even when you do sleep, you have all kinds of very vivid, deep dreams. It's tough. That's one of the reasons I tried finding so many outlets whenever I was a young man. 
got myself into music, started writing books, um, tried working with a lot of different people. But unfortunately, a person who has bipolar manic depression also has um, a difficult time of um, functioning with people who don't have the same amount of passion as themselves. You ever had all kinds of really cool ideas and you meet people who have some talent or have some abilities, but they don't have the same kind of passion or the same kind of commitment. They have like a natural ability to do shit, but they don't, they don't have the same goals or the same vision. You're sharp. Yeah, I heard your broadcast. And like I said, people with bipolar man depression, they usually have really, really set goals and ideas and things that they want to accomplish in life. So if you're with people who aren't helping you get to where you want to go, it can get aggravating and can become uncomfortable for everyone present. I think a demonstration is in order. Place that ASAM down on the ground somewhere. Go ahead. Any old spot. Lucky for me, I've uh, I've pretty much committed myself to when I want something or I'm trying to get something or do something. I I am one of these type of people that once I put my mind to it, it's going to happen. I really believe in that philosophy of mind over matter. I really believe that our mind and what happens in our head transcends the meat. I really believe that if you want something enough, you'll get it. And I think that even happens with life. You know, whenever I was a, a younger man and I met my woman and knew that she was going to be my wife, I knew what I wanted. I wanted a, a boy and I wanted a girl. I even had a dream of it. And I ended up having a boy and a girl in the same order as well. I'm not one of these people that ended up having two of this, three of that. You know, I had exactly what I wanted in life whenever it came to having kids. I'm very proud of my children. Both very hard workers. They do the best they can. They've got good, loving hearts. They try to do whatever they can to make people around them happy. And also try to do the best they can to make themselves happy. And they have simple needs. They're not these type of kids that act like wild animals in the store wanting shit. I need this. I want this. Daddy. None of that. If my kids really wanted something, they'd just simply say, Dad, I'd really like that. And I'd say, well, what do you want that for? And they'd say, well, I think that would be fun. I think that'd be interesting. And I'd be able to learn how to draw or learn how to do this. Have you seen some of the rascals and little weasels that some people have given birth to? I've seen so many videos where kids are going off and going crazy. A lot of kids don't even know what the hell they are or what their place is in the world anymore. My kids have always known what their place in the world is. I've always let them know that I love them and I care about them. And that their lives are valuable. You know, when my kids were babies, I was an atheist. 
And there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that you could say if you were trying to be intellectually honest. Telling them that they evolved from fucking fish and and rocks and all that kind of shit. That isn't very... That isn't something a, a kid wants to hear, right? Now that I believe in God, I'm able to tell them the truth. I'm able to tell them that their life means something. That their life has purpose. That there's value. That this life is a kind of a learning event. Something that can help you become wise and intelligent. Something that can teach you about how love works. How to love yourself and love other people. Can't really do that if you're a non-believer parent. If you're honest with your kid, you tell them, hey, you came from nothing and you're going to go back to nothing. And your life has no meaning or purpose. I subjectively like you. <laughs> and you can't look at your wife and say, you're the most beautiful angel ever, because if you don't believe in angels, then, and you believe it's all nothing more than chemistry, then you ha would have to say something to the effect of, well, I guess your chemicals mesh well when those two rocks in space smashed against each other. And all that alien shit came out of it. Um, somehow nature formed you in such a way that, you know, you look more interesting than the rest of the fucking animals out there. You're one of the better looking primates. I don't know, that doesn't sound very romantic, but that's how uh, an atheist who's actually being intellectually honest with himself and with his position would have to say it, right? So Friday, 7 p.m. Central, I'm going to be doing a live show. Everybody's welcome. I've got a new setup now. It's going to look a lot different than uh, what I was doing on StreamYards. There's still going to be a lot of videos and a lot of cool uh, events that happen, but you're going to notice some really neat things. I've made it to where the audience is going to be able to be more interactive whether you're inside the show or not. Now, whenever you type or whenever you're talking to me, it'll actually show up on the screen and will be permanent part of the video. That's pretty neat. I like that. I've always... That's one of the... Only things about StreamYards that I ever hated was that whatever you were typing out there, unless YouTube saved it, it was like it was a waste of time for you. But now your stuff becomes a permanent part of my life and blueprinted onto my videos whenever I talk. And I find that to be really cool. You know? All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm starting to get a little tired. I think I'm going to take a break from old Fallout 4. I thought you might enjoy watching this while I'm talking to you about all kinds of stuff. I am returning. I will start making solo videos again. But any, like, hardcore material or content I do will be on Rumble as well as Twitter. So make sure you follow me on Twitter. 
because I upload videos directly to it. And anything I do on the radio or do on Rumble, I post it all to Twitter. So you'll have it all there. All you got to do is subscribe. And for those out there who don't have Twitter, doesn't matter. You'll still be able to see my page. And if you just simply sign up, it's not hard. You could actually sign up by using Google. Just click a button and say, authorize, and you're part of it. And you'll have your own little Twitter profile where you can talk about your life and talk about events going on in the world. I really enjoy Twitter because, unfortunately, YouTube has become a place where people don't really have conversations anymore. Uh, people don't socialize, but on Twitter, well, most of the time, you can find yourself in some pretty good topics, talk about things and see things that you actually care about, as opposed to YouTube, where it's got a bunch of bullshit on it. All right, well, that's all I got to say. You have a good one, folks.